You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. We're in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14 this morning. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make provision of, for the flesh to gratify its desires. Uh, this, this week, our missionary to, uh, to pray for is part of our Meadowbrook family, Melissa She's working with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and has taken on a larger role there. And so we can pray for her a few ways this week uh, as she starts another school year. With students not meeting on campus as they have before, we can pray for her, uh, pray for students that they can still meet in new ways. Prayers for wisdom as they make plans for Bible studies and activities, and prayers that God will be moving and at work on campus. So let's pray together now for Melissa and her family. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for each and every day that you bless us with new things, new challenges, new ways to grow in you. Um, we ask that you uh, cover Melissa and Dustin and their family with uh, your love as only you can. Uh, ease fears, ease worries that the, she may have as she's going into a new school year and, and finding new ways to reach students to glorify you and just bring and unite students uh, for Christ. Uh, we ask that you just continue to provide for her and be with her family during this new and exciting time. And uh, we just pray these things in your name. Amen. I want to uh, just share some statistics with you. But before I do, I want you to know that math was not my favorite subject. So, and all the data that I've discovered here and put and I'm going to share with you came from Google so it must be right I'm just I just want to let you know all right so the average person's lifespan in America is about 78 years uh, you know the equivalent to 28,470 days that's uh, that's how many days on average we have on planet earth we sleep about 8,541 of our days away. We, some sleep more than that, and others, not enough. Uh, so, so those are your numbers. That leaves us with a little more than uh, 19,000 or just under 20,000 days on planet Earth awake. So here is the data I want to share with you. Here, here's what I discovered from Google. Uh, 5,300 days of our lives are consumed watching TV. You can probably throw in playing video games if you like playing video games in there. 3,988 days are consumed with work, which was surprising to me. I thought that number would be higher. 1,305 days are spent with training and education to make you a better employee. 
1,460 days are spent with housework. 416 days are spent in the bathroom. So 400, almost, a, well, actually over a year of your life is spent in the bathroom. For some people, maybe it's more. <laughs> 325 days of your life are spent getting dressed. 150 days, and for me this number is probably higher, 150 days of your life are spent looking for things that we lost. So that's like half a year almost looking for stuff that you misplaced. I'm horrible when it comes to that. And then the, the, the next two set of statistics uh, is annually because I think these numbers will only increase. But 25 days of your life, or no, 25 days out of the year, out of your year, out of 2020, are spent, probably even more because of social distancing, are spent on social media. 25 days. It would be like you sitting there in front of your computer on Facebook or whatever for a solid month without sleeping. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's all. It's probably higher now. This is, this is, this is pre-COVID. These numbers were shared. And then 23 days of your life are spent on your... Or 23 days of, of a, out of the year are spent on your cell phone. I, that number will... If that's not too low, it will only increase... So what does that mean? 78 years doesn't seem that long when you consider how we use our days. Or 28,000 days out of your, uh, of your life doesn't really seem that much, especially when you consider how many days you're left with after you've used them all uh, in, in light of the statistics I shared with you. That leaves you with about 5,000 days of your life that can be used for stuff that matters. 5,000 days. So when you come to a passage like Psalm 90, verse 12, let's read this together. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Seems much more relevant when you consider how much time we really have on planet Earth, right? Uh, James chapter 4 says this, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. So there are three ways I think you can respond to, to everything I just shared with you so far. One, you can just stay up. That's interesting. I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. And maybe fill up the, the maybe you're encouraged. I have 5,000 more days that I could fill up with TV and, and binge watching Netflix and, and social media. Woo, that's awesome. Um, you could do that. Or uh, you can, and I think this is probably more relevant to a lot of people in 2020, you can spend the days that you have uh, by avoiding every possible danger that you can think of, by staying home with as little interaction with people as, as much as possible and, uh, and avoiding those people outside that is, that, is, uh, that is safely possible. You can do that. Uh, and for some, that's a, that's, that's a, a reasonable thing to, to do. I want to share a video with you a music video that uh, premiered on Saturday Night Live, so you know where this is going now. It premiered on Saturday Night Live in 2013. And I'll share some of the lyrics with you. 
the song is titled YOLO, which means what? Awesome. All right. YOLO, you only live once. The battle cry of a generation. The life is a precious, or this life is a precious gift, so don't get too crazy. It's not worth the risk. So this is, if, if you're going to hunker down for option two until COVID-19 goes away or whatever, uh, or that it's safe, uh, this might be a viable option. Now, I made this uh, as kid-friendly as I possibly could. I edited it um, to make it church-friendly, and so I hope that you enjoy it, because I watched it like 10 times yesterday. is a precious gift so don't get too crazy it's not worth the risk you know that we are still young so don't be dumb don't trust anyone So take a chill pill, ease off the throttle Never go to loud clubs cause it's bad for your ears Your friends will all be sorry when they can't hear And stay f***ing away from drugs cause they not legal Then bury all your money in the backyard like a beagle Cause you should never trust the bank, they've been known to fail And never travel by car or bus, boat or by rail And don't travel by plane, and don't travel at all Build a bomb shelter basement with titanium walls And wear titanium suits in case pianos fall on ya And if you think your mailman is a spy, then destroy it. No blankets or pajamas, they can choke you in your sleep. Two words about furniture, killing machines. Board your windows up, the sun is bad for your health. And always wear a straight jacket so you're safe from yourself. Uh-huh, take no chances. No chances. Stop freelancing. Right now. Invest in your future, don't dilute your finances. Uh-huh. 401k, K. make sure it's low risk, then get some real estate. How much? 4.2% 30-year mortgage That's important That's a great deal And if you can't afford it Don't forge it On your last bill Renting is for suckers right now A dependable savings And you're retired With money in your account Be so low Say no, no Isolate yourself And just roll solo Be careful, low You wanna look out Also stand for YOLO So you could respond that way. Or there's a third option. You could live your life uh, in light of who you are as a follower of Jesus. 
in light of everything that we looked at in, in Romans, you know, over, over the, I don't know how many months now, since March, just everything in Romans is there to remind us of who you are as a Christian in, in light of all that Jesus did for you uh, and, and what that has resulted in you being in, in, in light of, you know, you as a, as a person who bears the image of the living God. Like in Romans, the first seven verses in Romans, you know, Paul reminds us of these Three institutions. We looked at that last week. You have the family, and then you have government, and you have the church. And that government has been given the sword by God to, to really suppress the evil that we're capable of, of doing as a species, as, as, as creatures. And then our response as, as Christians, as the church, is to understand that God is sovereign. Like, he is sovereign. Da- Daniel said... He, he responded to the Babylonian Empire and everything else that was coming. He said, the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. But God is over all that is happening. He's not on vacation. He doesn't take naps. And, and, and the evidence or proof of that is that we have a Savior. I mean, Jesus rose from the grave. The tomb is empty. And as we live out our lives, we must never forget you know, the reality that Jesus reminds us of in Matthew 12, that, that we are to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and then we're to give to God what? What belongs to God. And whose image do we bear? Not Caesar's, God's. And we're to give ourselves to him. So there are two points, two lessons, two things that Paul wants us to be reminded of, debt that the Christian fourteen, And the first is this, and it's so important, that the only debt that the Christian will, will owe that will never be able to be paid off is the debt to love. That's why Paul says, you know, if you owe anybody anything, you're, you'll pay taxes to whom taxes are due. If you borrowed money, make sure you pay that off. That's the right and moral thing to do. But, but when it comes to love, that's a debt that you owe that you will never pay off. And it's a good thing. Like we, God, as a result of, of, of saving us through Jesus, he, we were enabled to love God in a way that we were unable to love him before we believed in Jesus, and we're able to love our neighbors uh, in a way that we were unable to love our neighbors before we came to faith in Jesus. Jesus was asked, you know, what are the two greatest commandments? And what did he, what did he say? How did he answer that question? Well, let's see. Let's read this together. He said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. How much of that is you? Is that of you? It's all of you, right? Everything about you. And then he goes on to say, This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbors as yourself. And in this passage in Romans, Paul, he, he says, So, so this is what this looks like. You know, owe, owe no one anything except to love each other, for no one loves uh, another. For for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And then he goes on and and kind of gives examples of the second batch of commandments. So you have the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments are all about our relationship with God and how we're to respond to God, and the last six commandments are all about our relationship with our neighbors and how we're to respond to our neighbors. And so, so our, I've said this before, our vertical relationship with God, our relationship with him, our love for him, his love for us, that that should overflow into our horizontal relationships with one another. So how we love one another is symptomatic of our relationship with God. 
believe it or not. That's why the Bible says in 1 John, like the Apostle John said, you know, if you hate your brother, like if you hate your brother, then there's something wrong spiritually with you. Like you did not understand the gospel the way you should have understood it. And if you think about the reality of who you are, who we are, as, as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, I'm assuming most of us, if not all of you in this room, are, are followers of Jesus, are Christians. Maybe some of you are not. Maybe you're just still trying to figure this out. Maybe those of you on the live stream are trying to figure this out. But for the Christian, what we've learned in Romans is, is the following. I'm just going to kind of share with you everything that we, the Romans teaches us about ourselves. In Romans chapter 1, we're experiencing, if you're a Christian, we're experiencing the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means that you are not the same because of Jesus. Like, as a result of placing your faith and trust in Jesus, you are different today than you were before. And by the grace of God, you are being changed and shaped by, the, by, by, by God's you know, involvement in your life so that you will, you will not be what you are today like what you will be tomorrow. Like, you're, you're improving. Like, God is doing this work in your life. That's Romans 1. Romans 3, you are justified freely by the grace of God. That's who you are, justified before a holy God. In Romans 5, you're reconciled to God. You were once an enemy of God, and now you've been made a friend of God. That's Romans 5. In Romans 8, and you know, 7 and 8, you will never be forsaken or abandoned by God. Uh, in, in, again, in Romans 8, you, will, you, you ought to have no fear of hell or condemnation because of who you are in Jesus. Like Romans 8.1, my favorite verse. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, as a result of your faith in Jesus, you are a child of God. You belong to him. You are a son or you are a daughter of the God of all creation. The one who spoke the galaxies into existence looks at you and looks at you as a son or as a daughter. You belong to God. That's Romans 9. You're treasured by God. You're, you, God is working all things together for your good. Think about that in light of our world and the craziness of our world. God is working all things out together for your good. How do you know that? Because Romans tells us, Paul wrote, he said, you know, if God has, did not withhold his son, if he gave his son to die on your behalf, how will he not also graciously give you all things? Like in a COVID-19 world, God is working all things out for your good and for my good. And in uh, Romans 10, we're set apart for the mission of God. He wants to use you. He wants to use me to, 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 to be the light that this world needs, to be the salt that this world needs, to be his mouthpiece, to be his hands, to be his feet. He doesn't need to do that, but he wants to do that, and he wants to use you. You matter in this world. And in Romans 12, you are a member of the body of Christ. Think about that for a second. If you're a Christian... You belong to the church. Now, I'm not talking Meadowbrook here. I'm talking capital C church. Brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world, we make up the church. People who, have, who were once dead spiritually have been made alive in Christ. We are the church. And what that means is that we are betrothed to, engaged to, the bride of 
Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity. No creature on planet Earth can say that, not even angels, that we are, we are betrothed to be married to the second member of the triune God, and, and, and that is why angels, the Bible says, angels stand on tiptoe and they marvel at this redemption that you've experienced and that I've experienced and that we continue to experience, something angels never experienced. They rebelled against God, the demons rebelled against God who were once angels, and it was judgment, period. We rebel against God and he sends his son to die in our place for our sins. Angels marvel at that. Like I, I think about this. Like hopefully every relationship that's represented in here, uh, husband-wife relationship represented in here, or if you're young and single and not married, that you've seen this hopefully in your parents that that uh, that that husbands you love your wives passionately and vice versa, wives you love your husbands passionately. No, that doesn't mean they don't get on your nerves because we get on each other's nerves. That's what happens when two human beings live together for a long time. But I love my wife. And like my boys know that you respect your mother and do not, you know, if you disrespect her, you're disrespecting my wife. I made that statement before. Don't disrespect my wife because one day you will be out the door. Like there's a day coming when you will move out. But I'm living with this woman for the rest of my life. Like, I don't have to put up with you for, you know, 30, 40 years, but I choose to live with my wife uh, because, I, you know, not that I don't love you, but I love her. Like, it's a covenant relationship. I mean, think about the reality of that. And every once in a while, we remind our boys that you will be moving out one day. That day is coming. Um, and so if we ought to feel that passionately about our spouse, how passionately do you think... Jesus feels about his bride. That's why I, it, it irks me. <laughs> and it should irk you when, when we disrespect the bride of Christ. Don't you, think it dis, don't you think it irks Jesus when we talk ill of his bride? Like He knows all of our warts because he knows about your warts and he knows about mine. Like all that stuff that's in the closet we don't want anybody knowing about, Jesus knew it and he still died for us. So we are the bride of Christ. We are his bride. And as a result of our salvation, as a result of everything that God has done in our lives, we are enabled, he enabled us supernaturally to love powerfully and to love in a way that transforms those around us. Okay, so if I love my neighbor, this is the point Paul makes here. He's like, if you love your neighbor uh, as yourself, Love does no, does no wrong, meaning you're not going to covet after your, your, your neighbor's property. You're not going to you know, steal their bike or whatever. You're not going uh, to want to have an affair with another man or another woman's spouse. You're, you're, you're not going to want those things if you've been affected by the gospel and the gospel is changing you. You're able to love your neighbor in a way that you were unable to love them before. That, so Paul says that's, yeah, that's who you are. This is what he meant in verse 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, it fulfills the, 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 the law of God, which leads to the second point, and that is your best investment is a life lived for God. Like, uh, just think about that for a second. So if you have 78 years from the moment of birth to death, 
Some of you, you know, maybe exceeded that, or you will. But still, let's just picture 78 years as a dot, okay? Um, well, even before viewing it as a dot, just view your 70 years from start to finish like this. In light of eternity, it's like a dot, right? It's a dot. That's why James says your life is like a vapor. It's here and gone. Uh, but yet we invest eh, almost all of our energy, all of our waking hours in the dot. That's how, that's, we think that's investing. That if I can invest enough money so I can retire, spend a, a few years of my life before I die playing, um, then good, I've won. And, and the point that the Bible overwhelmingly makes is that don't fall into that trap. Like, yeah, it's wise. You should invest your money. You, you know, find a good job and be, be, a, be a, a citizen that contributes you know, to your community and do all those things. But if you're doing all that without considering eternity, and if you're doing those things without investing in the life that you will have after you breathe your last breath, then you're a fool. So your best investment is a life lived for God. The ESV, every once in a while, gets verses pretty wrong. This is an example in verse 11. Uh, the translators who are way smarter than me, I don't know what the reasoning behind this was, but the word for besides is a conjunction. Okay, now, I'm not going to get into the English language with you, but, but it's a conjunction. It's a, it should be translated and. And here's why it matters. Because Paul is not saying... Hey, you should love your neighbors. Oh, and besides, this is what you should also do. That's not the point he's making. He said, here's why loving your neighbor as yourself makes sense. And so the NIV, I think, I really, the NIV gets it right. And do this. And do this understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. I checked out a couple of other versions of the Bible. The New King James, I think, sounds more like it was translated from guys who grew up in Wyoming, um, so the new King James, and do this knowing the time, that now it is high time, or now you know, it's high noon, to wake out of sleep, for now your, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. As you get older, I think, a lot of us, myself, you know, I feel like my body doesn't like to sleep as much as it used to when you're a teenager. I don't know how that... I, I mean, like, we have a rule in the house. You're not allowed to sleep past 10.30. 10.30, you're up. We're in there, and we're, we, we will violently wake you out of your slumber. <laughs> Turn on the lights and, and maybe send Seth in to, to shake you because he hasn't entered that stage of hibernation yet. He's still, he's preteen. Hibernation comes teenage years. Um, in so many ways um, that I will save that for another message. Um, so if you're a Christian, you're not only alive, but I said this like four weeks ago or so, you are spiritually woke. If there's any, if there's any human being on planet Earth that is woke, it's the, it ought to be the church. It ought to be the Christians. We are spiritually woke. How are we spiritually woke? Because when we placed our faith and trust in Jesus, God awakened in us, made alive in us the ability to love him like we were born to love him and to love our neighbors like we were made to love our neighbors. We, we were made for that. And so how do we live out our lives you know, in light of that? Well, we, we live it out loving God and loving our neighbors. Not 
isolating ourselves or hunkering down until we, hopefully a vaccine is available. Like if God is sovereign and he's in control, like he, hard, he holds the cards with COVID-19. Like he, he, he's in control. We should be the least anxious human beings on planet Earth if we really believe, you know, what we say we believe. Like, yeah, be wise. I'm not going to go hug and kiss everybody in Walmart. Not, in fact, I won't do that to anybody in Walmart. It, it's dangerous in many ways. But and I'm not, after the service, I'm not going to go up and hug every single one of you, nor am I going to shake everybody's hand. Um, but I'm not, I'm not anxious about it. Like, I'm not going to lose sleep over it. Why? Because God holds the cards over my life. And uh, yeah, I need to be wise. But think about it. When Paul wrote Romans, he wrote it during a very dangerous season during the church's existence. Like Nero most likely was emperor when Romans was written. And you know who Nero was? He was a, he was a, he was a crazy man. And he was no friend of the church. The dude would, he, he would t- get Christians who were arrested for their faith, he would put them on, on stakes, and he would cover their bodies in pitch and light them on fire to bring light to his gardens. That's the kind of character Nero was. And Paul, knowing that, said what he, wrote what he wrote in these verses. Like, don't isolate yourself. Live out the mission that God has called you to live. You know, I mean, the mortality rate of COVID-19 is 1.2%. And it has paralyzed our world. You know, should we wear masks? Probably. I mean, should we like, not hug everybody that we don't know? Yeah, that's probably wise. Um, but should that paralyze us? No. But I do think that everything that we're experiencing in 2020 does, does provide us with some really great stories to tell our grandchildren. Like a friend in the church shared this with me, and I think I really would like to say this to my grandchildren. In 20 years, when kids ask about the 2020 toilet paper shortage, I'm telling, I'm telling them we had, to drag, we had to drag our butts across the lawn in snow, uphill, both ways, dodging murder hornets, and falling statues without calling the police and all while wearing masks. Like, I want to share that story with my grandchildren. Um, so what was, Paul, what was his advice? The night is far gone. Like we are inherently, there's something wrong with the human heart. That's why we see happening what's happening in our world. Across the board, like we have, it's jacked up. The reason why we have the kind of stuff that has, ha- has happened in this year and years previous, um, the reason why you have people in authority who abuse their, their, their power and the reason why you have others burning down buildings is because we, are, as a species, are born spiritually dead. The Bible says the heart is desperately what? sick, or the King James says wicked. Who can understand it? That's the problem. The problem with our, with our world goes way deeper than the color of our skin. 
It's the condition of our heart. And so Paul says, so the night is far gone. He's talking to the church. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. And so what is the day that he's talking about? See, we think of, you know, as Americans, we think, we think in terms of programs. We think in terms of schedules. We're like, what do we need to do next? But when it comes to salvation, when we talk about being born again or about salvation, we think of a one-time event. Like for me, it was uh, July 18th, 1991 is when I placed my faith and trust in Jesus. And some of, some, it's tempting to think that that's what it means to be saved. But according to the Bible, what it means to be saved is that, yes, it includes the day that you believed in Jesus, but it also includes everything that God is doing in your life now and will continue to do you know, in your life in the future till that day. And after that day, you breathe your last breath and you experience a resurrection that God promises he's going to do with, with, with us. And then, and then he's going to do the same thing with the rest of creation. And then one day he will wipe away every tear from every eye. And he will make all things that are wrong with the world right. That that is the day of salvation the Bible is talking about here. That Paul is talking about. And so Paul says, he says, look, for salvation, verse 11 says, For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Meaning that uh, every day we experience, every day that, that we advance, we are closer to that day when God is going to make all things right that is wrong with the world. So live your life presently like it matters. Because one day, one day each and every one of us will give an account before God. That's Romans 14, that's next week. Every single one of us will breathe our last breath and we will find ourselves before the presence of God and we will give an account for the way we lived our lives. But we are not exempt from that. We are exempt from condemnation and hell, but we are not exempt from giving an account for the way that we use the life that God blessed us with, that he gifted to us. So then, Romans 14 states, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And in light of the fact that salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed, what we do today matters. It matters. We are one day, one day we're going to die. The mortality rate in Cheyenne is 100%, as it is in every other place in the world. 100%. We're all going to die. And what we do with our lives, it matters. And we were not meant to isolate. We're not meant to hunker down and, and look for every way to be safe. We were made, as the church especially, we were made to engage a suffering, jacked up, backwards, upside down world with, with the gospel. And the way that we express the gospel in our lives is, by the, is in our worship of God and our love for our neighbors. Like that's why I, I, the church in America needs to be reminded that we need to stop looking to the left politically. We need to stop looking to the right politically in terms of who we affiliate with. And we need to focus heavenly word because our citizenship is with God. It's the kingdom of God first and foremost. And when we vote, we should vote in line with our convictions that are shaped by the word of God. Which makes this season for voting very tricky. There's a movie. How many of you have seen the Dead Poets Society? Wow. Each service is a little more than the, the previous service. So the first service is like two. Second service is like three or four. And then there's like five of you. So 
it's a really good movie. I'd encourage you to watch it. It's, it, it received a bunch of Academy Awards. I think it was, uh, re- came out in theaters either in the late 80s or 90s. Some of you think that that's archaic, probably. But Robin Williams played the character John Keating, who graduated from this Ivy League school and then found himself as a teacher, and uh, I believe literature, in this Ivy League school, but his method of teaching is he wanted people, he wanted his students to be engaged. He wanted to engage his students and have, and, and show that, that, that what they were learning really mattered. Like some of these poets that wrote, you know, long ago, that it mattered. So he, his first day of class, he walked into the front of the classroom. There were two doors. He walked into the front and front of the class, walked through the classroom, and went out the back door. And then he peeped, and he did this while he was whistling. Then he walked back into the, or he peeped his head back into the classroom and said, come on. And so he invited the classroom to follow him. And they, he had them stand before this board. And all high schools have them, right? You know, pictures and trophies of athletes and those who have gone before you in high school. So he has them stand in front of the, 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 the trophies and the pictures of those who have gone before them, previous students. And he said, he said, class, what you see in front of you, I'm paraphrasing here, he said, those, those who you see in front of you are pushing daffodils right now. They're dead. He said, but if you listen closely, if you just lean in and listen closely, you can hear their whisper from, the, you know, what they're saying from the grave. And so he said, lean in, lean in, I want you to hear them. And so they leaned in and, and then Robin Williams, you know, Mr. Keating, whispers over their, you know, over their, you know, behind him. He says, carpe diem. And they look back at him like, are you nuts? And he's like, no, listen. He says, carpe diem. Seize the day, boys. Make your life extraordinary. And when I read Romans in general, but when I read chapter 13, when I read these verses, what I hear whispered from the pages of Scripture is carpe diem. Seize the day, not because one day you're going to be pushing daffodils when you die, but because there is, there, there is life on the other side of this life. When you breathe your last breath, you'll enter into the presence of the living God. Or if you're not a Christian, if you never placed your faith and trust in him, you will, you will breathe your last breath only to face him as judge and experience condemnation. But seize the day. And this is why Paul concludes chapter 13 with these words. He says, so then... Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, because that was all common in Paul's day as it is in today's day. He says, you, you have been brought out of that. You've been raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's not you anymore. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's who you're called to be. That's who you're called to be. Life is too short to hope and wait for a vaccine for COVID-19 and then get active and then engage your world in the mission of God. It's too short for that. In fact, the reality is some of you, there's a possibility you might not even wake up tomorrow. I got a call this week about a 17-year-old girl, I believe she was a passenger in a car in Cheyenne, 
who was in a car accident. She thought she was getting up the next day. She probably had her life all mapped out, whether she was going to college or, or high school or college. She, she thought, you know, the, the, day, the, the, the next day was guaranteed, and she died. She died. And I was in youth ministry. I had a young guy who, who did one of those crazy things in youth ministry where you pull an all-nighter and play games all night and feel miserable the next day. We did that. And I wound up feeling compelled to share the gospel with this guy, this kid, this kid. He was, I think, 14 years old and shared the gospel with him. And, and we talked and we just sat on a platform like this, a stage like this, and everybody else was playing basketball and dodgeball or whatever. And, and I asked him, so do you, do you, does this make sense to you? And he said, yeah, I want to become a Christian. I said, okay. And I prayed with him and he became a Christian. And I believe it was that following week or the week after, he was on a ski trip and he was coming down the mountain on a Boy Scout thing. And, as he, and when he came down, he told his dad when he was at the bottom of the mountain, he said, dad, I feel tired. And he laid down in his father's arms and he died. So just because you're young or just because you're healthy doesn't mean tomorrow is guaranteed. And, what we, and it's the same thing with COVID-19. What we do with our lives matters. And the question we, are, we ought to be forced to ask ourselves in reading a passage like this is, how are we spending our waking hours? How will you seize the days that God has gifted to you? How will your life matter? How is your life, if you're a Christian, how is your life a testimony to the world that God is in the business of raising the dead? And if you're not a Christian, if you're watching the live stream or if you're here, the first, the first thing you need to get in order is that you are made to know God, you're made for a relationship with God, uh, this was what you were born for, every organ in your body, every nerve ending was made to know God. You were bear his image for a reason, for a purpose. And, and because we were born dead spiritually and sin and broken, God sent his son to die for you, to die in your place for your sins. And the evidence that that is true is that Jesus rose from the grave. He rose from the grave. And the Bible says, all who confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. You don't have to work for it. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is believing the message of that good news, the greatest news in all the universe, believing it, trusting in it as the only way, the only hope that you can have your sins forgiven and have eternal life. Believe in him. He said, the God of all creation. That's why Jesus said to all who believe in him, he said, some of you they will kill. He said that to his disciples. Some of you they will kill, but not a hair on your head will perish. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for Romans 13, for what it reminds us of. God, may we be a people in the church who, who love powerfully and who love transformatively. And the world tells us if somebody strikes your cheek, crush theirs. But you say, your son said, if the world strikes your cheek, turn to them the other also. And uh, that there is power in loving one another the way that you've called us to love one another.
We're recipients of that because of the way you love us and sent your son to die in our place. And God, I lift up Cheyenne to you. I pray, God, for a day, where an awakening where you'll use the church to be the light that you've called us to be in a, in a, in a dark place. And that, that, we will, that we will be your mouthpiece to proclaim a message that this world so desperately needs. I pray for Portland and what you're doing there through your church. Just some of the amazing things recently that, that have been happening, just scores of people coming to faith in your son as a result of Christians just saying, enough is enough, let's just, let's just share the gospel and love on people who, who have no hope and are responding in a way as those who have no hope. And God, I pray for, I pray for Portland. I pray for, 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 for California and for New York and for Colorado and Pennsylvania and all other places and cities that need the gospel. Use your church to, to move your church into those places to speak your, your gospel, a, a message of hope in a place that so desperately needs it. And uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.